Well, we'll be in uh, John 11 now. Um, and I've just been, uh, man, just love the series we're in right now. We're in the, we're in the book of John. We're, we're looking at the different I am statements of, of Jesus. Uh, and so we've, we've looked at several of, uh, of those I am statements. Um, and uh, today we're going to look at a very significant one. I am the resurrection and the life. But we're going to start here first with a, with a, a word from Ecclesiastes 7, 2, and 3. It reads this. It says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. In John 11, we enter that house of mourning. And we enter it that our hearts may be made glad. You see, what happens in John 11 is we have uh, Jesus and a couple of his friends. He has three friends in particular. Uh, One of them's name is Lazarus. He has two sisters named Mary and Martha. They live live in the town of Bethany. uh, And as the story goes, Jesus is not in the town of Bethany. Uh, Lazarus gets sick. And his sisters, knowing who Jesus is and the power that he has, And the love that he has for Lazarus, they send a message to him. And they say, Jesus, your servant, Lazarus, the one whom you love, he's ill. Come quickly. Heal him. But Jesus doesn't come quickly. He stays where he's at for a couple of days. And then he takes the two-day journey. But when he hears of this, he tells his disciples that the guys that follow him, that are around him, that he's teaching most in his time in ministry, he tells them, this illness will not lead to death. It's an odd thing to say. So they think we're going to get going, right? But on the way to Bethany, on the way to heal Jesus, they hear word that Jesus, or Lazarus has died. So that's confusing. What do we do with this? So the, these disciples and Jesus, they are now entering the city. And what they thought was going to be maybe a hospital visit, what they thought was going to be a miraculous healing here or there is now a funeral or visitation. It's a very different thing. And so they enter into the house of mourning. And it's good to be in the house of mourning because this is where we, we strip away all of those things that don't really make sense, that, that don't really aren't necessary. Those big questions rise. When you're ever at a funeral, you get the big questions. When you're in the face of illness, when you're in the face of cancer, you get the big questions. When parenting seems exhausting, when you seem like you're at your wits end and you're dead tired, yes, some big questions. When marriage feels dry or lifeless or dead, you ask big questions. When your work isn't so fulfilling and it leaves you working for the weekend, but the weekend's way too short, in about a couple hours you're going to turn over and start dreading Monday morning again. We ask those big questions. The big question that's there, there are a lot of these little questions. The big question that's there that's been there for a long, long time, who will finally deal with death and suffering? This is terrible. Can anyone end it? This has been the question since Genesis 3, the very beginning of the Bible. Who will deal with death and suffering? And in John 11, Jesus steps up and says, I will. I do, I can, like no one else can. We enter 
the house of mourning. And in this house of mourning, Jesus has three specific conversations. He talks with Martha. And in their conversation, he reveals that he has hope for the discouraged. He talks with Mary, and he reveals that he has comfort for the weary. And he talks with Lazarus, and he reveals that he is life for the dead. So be encouraged today as we look beyond this life to our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is hope for the discouraged, comfort for the weary, and life for the dead. So let's begin our story. Jesus is hope for the discouraged. Verse 17, you can read along. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had, been, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Let's pause there. In the face of suffering and death, maybe you're like Martha. You're a thinker. You think a lot. Death and suffering are more like puzzles, like an argument, like evidence, all suggesting whether God even exists. And if he does, whether or not he's good and able. Maybe let me rephrase what Martha is saying. She says, Jesus, let's reason together. I'm well informed of the resurrection. I'm confident in your ability to heal the sick. That's why we asked for you to come in the first place. But right now, I am questioning, uh, I'm not questioning end times theology. I'm not questioning your miraculous powers. I'm questioning whether or not you are good on the grounds that you didn't come when we asked you. And now our brother's dead. And it seems a bit unnecessary. If you had been here, then my brother would not have died. Maybe you're like Martha. You believe there's a God. Maybe life makes you question whether he's good because he seems so silent to evil, so unresponsive to you and your prayers, so unable or disinterested. Well, good news. You're in a good place. You're in a house of mourning. You're asking good questions. And what Jesus reveals here is that he is a deeper reality. He reveals that he is unfathomable, which is not the same as being untrue. See, Jesus speaks of this thing of eternity in the way that we speak of infinity. Infinity is unfathomable to wrap our minds around. However, we speak of it as though it's true. Jesus speaks of himself this way. He invites us into a deeper reality, deeper than the surface level brokenness of this life. We read on in verse 25, Jesus responds to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says to Martha, and he says to us, it's obvious 
that you think about me a lot, but do you believe me? Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What she says there is so rich. I believe you are the Christ. This is Messiah. This is the long-awaited conquering king who will come and make everything good again. I believe you are him. I believe you are the Son of God. You are both God and man. You have come here to do something no one else could. We can't arrest death, but you can, and that's what the Son of God will do. I believe that you are the one coming into the world. She's not just saying that. She's affirming what we believe, John 3, 16, that Jesus was sent for the God so loved the world that he sent his son. I believe you're that one coming into the world to save us and give us eternal life. I believe in you. In the face of death, Jesus proves himself to be a deeper reality than the joy and suffering of this life. There is something more than what we see and experience here. There is something more than the ideas and emotions that are products of our time on this earth. Jesus reveals himself to be that thing from the beyond. That thing far surpassing the stuff of this life. You see, the gospel, and the gospel, I'll define it. The gospel is the good news, the message, the good message that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again, that we could have forgiveness of sins in his death and newness of life in his resurrection. That is the gospel. The gospel is like mini blinds. You see, mini blinds, we, we put them up, and this world is like, is, is like we're looking at them, and they might be pretty, they might be ugly, they might be old, they might be outdated, they might be something, but they're mini blinds nonetheless, and that's what we see in this life. And now the gospel is that little trickling of light that's coming out from behind them, and Jesus says, the mini-blinds got you down. The pain and suffering of this life have got you blind. I can open that for you. There's brilliance. There's beauty beyond. There's light beyond. And I am the light of the world. I can give you hope in this life. I can lighten up your room. But you got to look through the blinds and stop asking me to change the color of your blinds. You have to see the light beyond, and I am that. I am the re resurrection. I am the life. That's beyond the many blinds. You see, Jesus is not simply a miracle worker resurrecting people. Jesus replies to Martha. Read that again. I am the resurrection and life. He's very careful with his words, and he says them very specifically. Jesus says, I am the one who resurrects the dead. This is true. But not only am I the one who resurrects, I am the resurrection by which I bring them to life. He says, I am the giver of life, but I am also the life that is given. I am the one who opens your many blinds, but I'm also the light that comes rushing in. I am the resurrection and the life. And we're not required, to, uh, required or expected to know Jesus fully. But we are invited repeatedly to believe in what we have heard of Jesus. That he has died and he has risen for the forgiveness of sins. 
that you might believe. So, if you're like Martha, go on. Keep thinking. But ultimately, you must shift your thinking from only knowing about Jesus to actively knowing Jesus. Jesus asked you the same question he asked Martha. You think a lot about me, but do you believe that I forgive your sins? Oh, Jesus is hope for the discouraged. Jesus is also comfort for the weary. Let's read verse 28. When Jesus had said this, he went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "Uh, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she said it, she rose quickly. Or when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him the same words her sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In the face of suffering and death, maybe you're like Mary, an emotional train wreck. Yeah, it's true. Jesus is unfathomable, unfathomable reality. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is transcendently sovereign. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God is also personal and imminent. God is here, and he's here because he loves us. So if we go all the way back, the first chapter of the book of John, where this this whole setup starts, we hear some crazy language that's both transcendent, big and out there, but it lands it right here with us. Here's here's what, uh, just to paraphrase, here's what John sets us up with. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. That's big language. But then it turns, and it says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen this glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. Jesus, the eternal Word who was with God and is God, dwelt among us. Jesus cares about today, and he feels the same way about death and suffering as you and me. Let's read on, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was, get this, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Did you get those words? Jesus was deeply moved, greatly troubled, and wept. You'd be hard-pressed to find another God invented in history who is deeply moved by the suffering of his people. This is a very unique God. Jesus is moved and weeps because he laments with us. A big fancy church word for weeping 
and, and anger and anguish at the brokenness of this world is lament. Right here, Jesus cries out, this is not right. Christian author and counselor, Paul Miller, he describes lament this way. He says, a lament functions like a mirror of the world. What is broken or out of balance is not the lament, but the world. What's broken or out of balance is not that we're saying rough things to God. It's that we're saying true things of God, and the truth is this world is broken. Motivated by clear seeing, a lament reacts to the mismatch between hope and reality, between heaven and earth. See, they're lamenting here rightly. I thought it would be this way, but the world is not this way. I had hoped it would be this way, but it's not this way. I thought child rearing would be easy, but it's not. I hoped my job would be satisfying, but it's not. And when it's not, I thought the paycheck would take the edge off of it, but it doesn't. I hoped my marriage would be the end, but it's not. I hoped that our, that our brother would be alive. If you had come, he would be alive, but he's dead. Jesus joins them in lament. The God-man Jesus joins them in lament. You can have comfort because our God hates sin and death and suffering just as much as you or I. Now here's the hope, and here's why we can rightly lament in the house of mourning. Because Jesus is not so easily defeated. Easter Sunday proclaims that loud and clear. He is risen because he is not so easily defeated. So Jesus goes to have a conversation with a dead man. Jesus is life for the dead. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. <laughs> and Martha, the anal retentive sister of the dead man, said to him, ah, Lord, you. By this time, it's going to be really stinky because he's been there for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that, I, uh, that you sent me. That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Maybe you're like Lazarus. You're dead. You're so dead that you don't know you're dead. Maybe you don't know how you got dead. You might not know what exact sins you've committed, but you know you've done wrong. You long for something more. God, in the Bible, truly and rightly says, the wages of sin is death. So I guess on that one, we're all dead. I want to say something to you right here. This is wonderful. Jesus says to Lazarus, and he says to you, 
He looks into the dark, cavernous tomb of your world. And he says to you, come out of your grave. Believe in me. I give life. I am life. The story goes on. Verse 44. The man who had died came out. And as someone who, is, who, is, who, who was dead, who, who weakly and daily confesses my deadness and my proneness to going towards death, I could tell you that, that, that the love and the power and the life and the resurrection of Christ is unfathomable and I can't explain it. As someone who has dealt with addiction and fights it, I can't do this on my own and I come to Christ always again and again and again and it's unfathomable, but he helps and he proves himself to do this. And that's why the beautiful truth that I haven't read quite yet at the end of that verse, verse 44, is that he doesn't just give undeadness and say, yeah, second chance, let's go. He does something more. Verse 44, the man who died came out, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Maybe you believe in Jesus. Maybe you believe that you are a sinner. Maybe you believe that Christ forgives sinners. If you don't, please, let's talk. It is a big, big deal. It is the biggest reality that you can come to terms with, that you are a sinner and that you can say, God, forgive me. And he does. It's very simple. As I say, the hurdle to pride to get to that prayer is very difficult. Please talk to me if that's you if, you, if you feel stuck in the deadness. But if you are a believer, if you have experienced that, 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 that revitalization, that, that newness of life, he doesn't just say, hey, we're all going to be undead and walking around. You can be free. Unbind him. See, in the chapter before, Jesus says not I am the resurrection and life. He says I am the good shepherd and I come to give them life and life abundantly. Jesus just doesn't want a whole bunch of undead people. He wants people who are free to live. If you have sin, if you have addiction, if you have a past, you can be free because Christ can bring you back as the giver of life and as the resurrection, but he can also give you freedom in the right way to live, in the best way to live, in that hope, in that confidence to live. He says you don't have to be defined by your sin. You don't have to be defined by this world. Be defined by me. I forgive you. I love you. Now go live freely for God's glory. Unbind him and let him go. Jesus doesn't simply erase death. He unbinds us and frees us for full life in him. Hmm. That's a wonderful story with real implications for our lives today. But it's Easter Sunday. We're not here to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus. You see, Lazarus was a foreshadowing of the resurrection power that Jesus Christ would display in his own resurrection. 
that Jesus wouldn't just be a miracle worker who resurrects other people. It stands outside of a tomb. But that Jesus would be dead in a tomb for our transgressions. And while dead, resurrect himself. No other God in history has ever made claims to be able to do that. Our God does that. He puts to death, death by his death. That is crazy. We feel death. We feel sickness. And he says, yeah, I'm going to take care of that. See the light through those mini blinds. You're all troubled with the color of these blinds. You're all troubled with the look of these blinds. Your hope is never going to come from these mini blinds. I can never say something so sweet and soothing to you. You need to to tap into Jesus Christ and let the sun shine in your life. The resurrection of Jesus proves proves to us in a real way that Jesus is not simply a one-time miracle worker, but that he is actively in the business of making things new again, even you and I. Resurrection of Jesus gives hope and comfort beyond nice words, thoughts, and stories because he validates our experience and emotions and he says, remember, you're not defined by your circumstance. You're not defined by your sins. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The resurrection of Christ brings new life to us. Not simply a second chance, but a whole new life. And life abundant. And life eternal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a different view of the many blinds. It is the light beyond that comes bursting into the room. It is the brilliance of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Though like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Christ is the fullness of God, and we can fully see him when we trust in him. Ecclesiastes says that by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. It is only when we admit that the many blinds will never be as beautiful, as lasting, as meaningful, as satisfying as we'd hope them to be, that we can turn to Christ and start to look at the light seeping through the window. Today, our hearts are made glad forever because the brilliant light of Christ shines through. Who will deal with death and suffering? It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, the conquering king, our Lord, our Savior. We know rightly that all are sinners, that Christ saves sinners, and that faith alone in Christ alone gives us salvation from death. And he does this all as a free gift of God. That's beautiful. That is wonderful. Today, our hearts are made glad because we remember 
that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Now let's pray.